Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, you know, where, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doing Time Show. <clears throat> this is 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and I'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. Now, just before I introduce the show, I just wanted to let you know that I'm not ill. I have actually lost my voice because of lockdown fatigue and lack of sleep. So, yeah, just to let you know that, and this radio show is the only thing that's keeping me going at the moment. So I will do my best and bear with me. It's approximately 4.01. We're going to be speaking first up with Samantha Lee from Redfern Legal Centre, and she is the Police Accountability Solicitor, and she likes to be known also as Sam. And we'll be speaking with Sam about how there have been multiple inquiries from vulnerable people issued with hefty $1,000 fines or fined for not wearing a face mask, mask who are genuinely confused and struggling to follow the rules. And this includes people living with complex mental health conditions, those who have lost jobs or are dealing with difficult family situations as a result of the health crisis, and people sitting alone who were clearly posing no public health risk at the time the fine was issued. And so I've been doing a little bit of research, not just in regards to the media release that was put out by Redfern Legal Centre, but I've also read a couple of articles from Sydney criminal lawyers who have talked about the fact that in New South Wales, which is in stage four lockdown and is an absolute mess, that there has been a lot of police powers being expanded and there's been a police response rather than a health response. And, of course, we cannot forget our Torres Strait Islander and Aboriginal people who will also be policed at a much higher rate than non-Indigenous people. After we speak to Sam, we'll also speak with Ian Rintel from the Refugee Action Coalition and support is growing for the last remaining refugee family in Darwin's Mercury Hotel prison to be released from detention. But shortly, we'll be speaking with Sam. There are many ways that you can keep up to date with 3CR news, events and programs. With Facebook stripping content, it's a timely reminder to focus on the communication channels and platforms that the community controls. The 3CR website is a great spot to catch all your shows via audio on demand or scroll through our range of podcasts. 
It's also where you can sign up to our monthly newsletter, buy yourself a new t-shirt, or check out archival audio from past broadcasts. Of course, we're also on Twitter at 3CR and Instagram at 3CR Melbourne. But don't forget our mighty AM band. Catch us anytime on 855am. Keep in touch. 3cr.org.au And you're back with the Doing Time show. Hi, Sam. Welcome to the program. Oh, good to be back. Thank you. It's lovely to have you. And indeed, the lockdowns um, all around Australia have been quite horrific, haven't they? Oh, they absolutely have been, yes, uh, each day at a time. Now, Sam, I'm wondering, could you just put get a bit closer to the phone? You're just a little bit faint. Oh, certainly. Is that better? That is absolutely much better. So let's start off. Um, Redfern Legal Centre is concerned that people experiencing vulnerability are being caught up in the police crackdown of public health orders and that officers may not be explaining the rules, giving directions and using cautions as a first response. Can you talk about what's actually happening in New South Wales? When did the lockdown happen and what's going on? Well, look, we've been in lockdown in uh, New South Wales, well, in Greater Sydney, for um, several months now. Right. And uh, I've just looked at the most recent change to the public health orders, which came through yesterday. And uh, even as a lawyer, I am finding it difficult keeping up with these changing rules and making sure that I understand in order to advise people. I can't imagine what's going on on the ground and how police and the general public are making, uh, you know, trying to get through these really difficult rules all the time. So what's what's been the effect on people in regards to that? Well, through our practice at Redfern Legal Centre, we've had a number of inquiries from people who have been issued with a COVID fine. Uh, (coughs) Our clients have been issued, we are of the view in some cases unlawfully, or that they just haven't been given the the option to just correct their behaviour after being informed of what may be wrong and um, going on their way. The majority of our clients aren't flouting the laws. They are just blatantly confused. Uh, And I must say, it seems like police are confused as well because they are issuing fines to people when they have not broken the law. So how was this discovered, Sam? Well, it was discovered just through our practice and uh, also through looking at the laws and looking at the fact that they've been amended at least over 60 times in the past 14 months uh, and that the fines themselves, the -the on-the-spot fines, have just keep going up. They went up last week from 1000 for some uh, offences up to $5,000, an on-the-spot fine for an individual, that is which is just absurd because people can't afford to pay such a fine, especially those who are struggling financially. 
um, which a lot of people are at the moment, it is just would be impossible to pay that type of fine. How would a health response actually change all this? Well, it would come from a more compassionate angle rather than a punitive one. Uh, as I said before, the majority of people are wanting to do the right thing, are really struggling. The laws are changing really quickly. These are, are laws that are not easy to understand. They're also laws that are, uh, you know, making offences out of daily behaviour. People that are just used to going about their daily behaviour. So it yeah. has required a huge shift in mind frame from the general public. And instead of punishing people all the time and these huge, you know, um, words around uh, uh, quite punitive words, it yeah. could be embraced as something as working together, um, being compassionate and, and trying to get people on board as the general public rather than just to, to punish them. Absolutely. And indeed, a lot of the, the financial problems that people are experiencing because of insecure work and not being able to to work full stop, that would be extremely difficult as well, compounded with the fines? Absolutely. And, and the thing about fines is that they're not means-tested. So, you know, if you're on $100,000 uh, annually, a fine is going to be very different to you to someone that's on Centrelink or is on, you know, casual wages. Uh, it's just not fair. It's not an equal playing field out there. And lockdown laws are not impacting on, on people the same way. I mean, if you live down in a five-bedroom house near the beach, it's quite different to living out west uh, with a family of five in a two-bedroom apartment. I mean, it's just it's just not an equal playing field, and I don't think enough is coming out in terms of the narrative that takes into consideration just the absolute difficulties that some people are facing. <clears throat> Can you comment on, on the types of assistance that Redfern Legal Centre is offering to clients? Yeah, so if someone has been issued with a COVID fine, we do give them free legal advice, tell them about their possible appeal options, analyse the case to give them advice about whether we think it's been issued according to law. Uh, we also give them options about whether, you know, if they want to pay the fine, what their um, payment options may be. <coughs> uh, so if someone has been issued with a fine, uh, in New South Wales, that is, uh, we can give free legal advice uh, and um, look at how we can assist, even with, um, we can assist in some circumstances with helping to have the fine written off as well. And of particular concern, you also have our Indigenous communities that would be policed a lot more than, say, non-Indigenous peoples. And also looking at the fact that police police cautions are not are not given yes that's right well you know we we all know that some communities are policed more than others and when you introduce new well new offenses it, what it means is just those who are policed already will be policed more and I, I certainly think that's what we're seeing out 
in places uh, in New South Wales and it sounds like very similar in places in Victoria and definitely it's the case for those who uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander heritage that if you're already re already policed uh, and visible to um, police, uh, then it's quite likely that you're the one that's going to be uh, noticed much more than um, some other communities. So again, it's, it's not an equal playing field. These offences will hurt some more than others. Sam, I'm wondering... The New South Wales Parliament Public Accountability Committee held its first hearing this year into the New South Wales Government's management of the COVID-19 pandemic inquiry on the 10th of August. Would you be able to comment on that? Look, my, my position is, is to comment on the policing. Uh, yes. In terms of the way that the health has handled the matter, I, I'm not going to get into that conversation uh, but from my personal point of view, uh, I think compassion should rule the day. Um, I, I think people should be applauded for how much they've attempted to try and abide by all these changing legislations. The fact that some people just can't stay at home, that their work doesn't allow them to stay at home, that we, we should be giving those people a pat on the back and thanking them for what they have contributed in terms of keeping food on the shelf, cleaning you know, our hospitals and our, our schools. Uh, this is the time to thank people and not to punish them. Absolutely, Sam. And to be clear, what I was trying to really ask you here mm. is looking at the fact that it, there is a health crisis here that the prioritisation of the high visibility policing of the pandemic has been contentious since it began in March 2020. So isn't it fair to say that rather than assisting, assisting citizens preventing virus transmission, the response has seemed more about the mass criminalisation of certain sectors of the community? It certainly has seemed that way, and I don't know about you, but I, I, I was around during um, the HIV uh, <clears throat> issue that came up, uh, you know, in places around the world and then Australia. But although there was initially a lot of fear and a lot of homophobia, I think obviously due to a lot of the work within the gay community, yeah. that it was embraced in a very different way. There was very strong public health messages and trying to bring the community yeah. with you. There was then inject injecting drug use clinics which really assisted in um, reducing the spread of HIV. And it was a much different take on it than what we have these days. There wasn't a police commissioner standing behind uh, the uh, state leaders. It was very much about trying to get the community on board. And I really would like to see more of that rather Precisely. than um, pressure from having the police commissioners uh, you know, ensuring that we're the ones complying with the law. Absolutely. And in fact, David Shoebridge has really been quite vocal from the Greens, has really been quite vocal about all this too, hasn't he, Sam? Yes, it's great to hear the, you know, David's voice out there and others who have spoken out about it. I've really enjoyed hearing some of the community leaders, particularly in, out in South West Sydney, uh, who 
have been doing a hard slog and keep reminding us of uh, just how much they, they're having to cope with in certain areas. Absolutely. Well, let's hope that um, this all improves and that the, the lockdown can be lifted eventually. And in the meantime, can you just give 3CR listeners the contact details for the Redfern Legal Centre? Absolutely. I just uh, I don't remember it off the top of my head and I just need to get it up here on my screen. In the meantime, while I'm looking for that, I'll give some people some tips about what, happens, what they should do if they are approached by yep. a police officer. Um, always important to be cooperative because uh, things only get worse. Um, but ask them to turn on their body-worn video footage. Remember that the onus is on police uh, to prove the offence. And uh, even if they, you're required to give, you show them your place of ID in terms of where you live, you don't have to any, ask, answer any further questions. The Redfern Legal Centre number is 902-9698-7277. That's 02-9698-7277. Sam, uh, thank you so much for giving out those details. Now, I was just interested in the last comment you made about not answering questions. Can you elaborate on that? Yes, yeah, so there's, there's, unless you've been charged um, with an offence, uh, in most circumstances there's no obligation to answer questions that police ask of you. Uh, the onus is still on police to prove the offence. Again, you can say politely um, uh, that I don't wish to answer any further questions. Uh, make sure, ask them to turn on their body-worn video footage if they haven't already. Uh, and again, you're on, under no obligation to, to answer lots of detailed questions about what you're doing. You can tell police that you're exercising. Um, if that's what you're doing or you're going shopping, these are valid reasons to be out of your home, uh, but you don't have to go into much more than that. Absolutely. And just one last question, just in regards to policing Aboriginal people in regional communities, as the cases mm. of COVID-19 were detected mm. in Western New South Wales on 11th of August, the primary concern was that the highly contagious Delta variant would start spreading through local First Nations communities that have been identified as vulnerable. Can you comment on that? What we do know is that uh, policing in regional areas uh, do raise issues of concern. Uh, some regional areas are very highly policed. Uh, First Nations people in particular regional areas are highly policed. And I do have concerns about what may be going on in some regional areas in New South Wales and that uh, what fines have been issued out there. If someone has been issued with a fine in regional New South Wales and they can contact Redfern Legal Centre, we'd love to hear from them and see if we can assist them in some way. Oh, sorry, what was that last last sentence? If they have, if anyone in regional New South Wales has been issued with a fine, we we would love to hear from them and we will uh, give them legal advice and see how we can assist them. Absolutely, because. As you would already know, concerns have already been raised, haven't they, as to whether this heightened approach to COVID policing 
which includes no initial warnings for breaches and much steeper fines, which was what we were talking about earlier on. Will that disproportionately affect regional Aboriginal communities? Well, time will tell, won't it? Uh, but what people need to know is that police do have COVID guidelines and in those guidelines, which I, I have seen, is that uh, police are guided to first um, inform the person and uh, then consider whether to, to um, just caution them rather than issue them with a fine. And we need to see more of that happening on the ground. Absolutely, Sam. And, and wouldn't you say it's also a fact that many First Nations people don't have up-to-date identification with their current address or their identification may include only one of a number of addresses that they use? Certainly, yeah, this would be a concern. Uh, and, uh, you know, it depends on the police officer that you've got at the time, but someone should not be penalised for that reason. Uh, obviously, there are all sorts of police officers out there and it's a real concern. If someone is issued a fine for that reason, they should immediately contact Redfern Legal Centre. Sam, thank you so much for being onto the, uh, coming onto the program. And I'm hoping that you can come back and, and give us some more updates later on. Thanks so much. Thank you. You rest up as well. Yeah, as I said, it's more... Um, I'm not ill. It's just more lockdown mm. fatigue. There's just been so much going on, you know? Yes, I guess. Yes. I've never lost my voice like this, just for nothing. Uh, yeah, look, I can feel your pain. Hang in there. <laughs> Thanks so much. <laughs> All right, Bye. take care. 3CR Community Radio, giving the voice to community since 1976. Fitzroy Legal Service has launched a free information and advice phone service for people who have been stopped, questioned, fined or charged for breaching COVID-19 restrictions. Have you been fined or charged under the new laws or stopped and questioned by police for being outside? Call 0434 136 501. Weekdays between 9am and 5pm. That's 0434 136 501. Or head to fitzroy-legal.org.au for more information. You can also report incidents at covidpolicing.org.au. Fitzroy Legal Service is a 3CR supporter. A message from Victoria's community sector. I'm looking forward to not worrying that my patients are going to die of COVID. To no one else being separated from their mum in aged care. I'm looking forward to our wedding and having our family and friends from overseas here with us. I really want to see my mum. I'm looking forward to being able to welcome guests without a mask on. To having all the sports back to normal so that my family members can come and watch me play. I look forward to performing in front of a big crowd again. So please, get vaccinated. Please get vaccinated. Please get vaccinated. Let's get back to the good things. I ask you to get vaccinated. For all of us. Please get vaccinated. A message from Victoria's community sector. A 3CR supporter. 
More than 70 innocent refugees are still being indefinitely detained in detention centres and secure hotels around Australia. Over recent months, many fellow detainees have been released onto bridging visas. Those remaining are desperate to know why they are still held. It is indefinite, it is cruel and it is unlawful. Every day a group of supporters protest this brutality outside the Park Hotel at 701 Swanson Street, Melbourne, where 11 men remain trapped and whose hopes are fading and whose mental health is declining. The aim of the protests is to raise awareness of the situation for the general public, but also to show support and solidarity to the men inside. It is also for the approximately 200 refugees still held offshore. Please come along any weeknight at 6pm or weekend at 3pm.
I really am not understanding why people aren't seeing the fact that prisons are an integral part of a public health response to a pandemic. Like you, I'm really concerned about whether the data is being released very honestly about illnesses within prison. I have suspicions it's not, but really we need very strong leadership in this country that actually cares about people inside, our most vulnerable populations inside. That's what we need and that's not what we're getting right now. We need to keep radical voices on air Subscribe now. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377. And you're back with the Doing Time show. We're going to be speaking presently with Ian Rintel from the Refugee Action Coalition. And I wanted to speak to Ian about a number of issues today. Primarily, I was going to speak to I'm going to speaking with him about the family, parents, and also their adult children have been sleeping in the yard of their compound at the back of the Mercury Hotel in protest about being left behind after the only other family in Darwin detention was shifted to the Melbourne Detention Centre Mitre a week ago. And the government transferred this family from Nauru to Darwin in February 2020, a few months after the Medivac legislation was repealed, on the understanding that they would be released into the community. However, while most other refugees transferred after the repeal of the Medivac legislation have been released, the Makami's family remains in detention. And I'll be speaking with Ian about that. He's on the line currently. And I'm also going to be asking him a few questions in regards to the New South Wales pandemic, well, the whole pandemic Australia-wide, but more specifically in New South Wales. Hello, Ian. Welcome to the program. Yeah, hi, Marissa. How are you doing? Bit of lockdown fatigue. <laughs> yes. Yes, I can you imagine. Say. Yes. Now, for sure, Ian, for sure. there's I'm, a bit of that. What's that? There's a bit of there's a bit of that fatigue for sure. Yeah, it's really interesting. I never thought I'd have it, and without wanting to sound alarmist, I've kind of um, I'm actually not ill, but I've kind of lost my voice a little bit, and I think it's just oh, more lack of sleep and stress. You know, we've we're yeah, stage yeah. four restrictions in Victoria, yeah. and while yeah. um, prisoners get it a lot worse than us, because I mean at least we can have our computers and we've got a safe home, we've got food to eat. It still is very difficult, particularly. You know, with um, with not having that financial support. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, people are doing it very, very hard. There's nowhere near, nowhere near enough support for people who have been locked down. No, Ian. Nowhere there's near. been very, very sketchy information in the media. Could you just tell us the name of the family and talk about the background to what's happened with with the these refugees um, in Darwin? Uh, yes, well, the, uh, the family is Magames. It's M-A-G-H-A-M-E-S. Um, I've mostly communicated with uh, one of the adult, the, the adult children. I was, or I was spoken to the whole family uh, over the course of the time when they've been in the room and then when they've been um, in Australia. I mean, there's a, there is a little bit of good news about this family, uh, though, Mister. Um, that's uh, yesterday, late yesterday, they've actually were flown to Brisbane and have now been uh, released into community detention. Uh, so I think it's <laughs> yes, it's uh, it's one of those. Uh, there's not been a lot of publicity uh, about that. I mean, overwhelmingly, the media has been occupied with the 
you know, situation in Afghanistan. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, the, the family the family is now in community detention, so they've got one of their major you know, demands met, they've not yet got the protection they need in Australia. And, of course, it does nothing um, to excuse what the government, uh, the, 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 the mistreatment that the government has inflicted on them. Uh, they still don't know why they were held, you know, like for, what, 18, 18 months in detention in Australia after being told they were going to be transferred for medical attention that they never got uh, and then released into community detention. It's taken the government 18 months to get them into community detention. They still need medical treatment, but at least now they're out of closed detention and, uh, you know, hopefully they can start to uh, deal with some of the, you know, the mental health issues which, um, you know, had arisen, you know, because of the closed detention and, on uh, you know in Nauru and then in Australia. Absolutely. So so tell us more about that. So how how did they actually get released into community detention? Well, with uh, with like everyone else, with no notice, you know whatsoever. They were just uh, you know yesterday they were just approached by border force and said, uh, pack your stuff, you're going to prison, um, and then they. You know, you're going into community detention. So there was very, very little notice. There was enough notice so a few of their supporters in Darwin could actually uh, go to the go to the airport with them. And that was, you know, that was great. They got a bit of a, you know, a bit of a send off. But uh, it's like in so many other cases. I mean, they're they're out of the frying pan, you know, but they will now have to deal with the fire of actually surviving, you know, in community detention in. Uh, a situation where they get very little support, they'll find very quickly that uh, you know, because community detention means that people you know can't work, uh, they can't study, uh, the, they you know the, they will face all the difficulties of actually surviving in a different form of detention, a community detention. But um, yeah, most most families, individuals placed in a community detention, yeah, have a. They breathe a uh, you know, breathe a sigh of relief for getting out of close detention, but very quickly you know face the you know the the reality of having very little uh, income restrictions on you know where they can get uh, me, you know medical treatment so that's all controlled you know by HMS and by the you know by the government um, no right to work no right to travel no right to study um, even even leaving a city um, they, most of the conditions now community detention require permission uh, from uh, the uh, from uh, border force before they can actually leave the the city of their detention so you've got People in Brisbane, for example, that you know can't get to the can't get to the Gold Coast, you know, without permission to visit <laughs> for the day, to have a swim at the beach, without getting permission from, you know, from Border Force. So it is very uh, it is very restrictive. But we're very glad that they've they're out, and uh, you know, we should pay tribute to all the you know the people in Darwin who you know stood by the family, were at the vigils, you know, night after night outside the outside the fences, you know, communicated with them through the fences, the people who supported them. You know, on the phone, and um, you know, campaigned, you know, relentlessly, and um, you know, the, when put out the press release, which is the, you know, was the subject of what we thought we were going to be talking about today, uh, like was part of just a stepped-up campaign um, because they were suffering very, very badly because uh, the last family, they were the last family uh, left in very deprived circumstances. It's not like they were; they were in the some sort of, you know, demountable houses at the back of the hotel. They weren't actually in some four-star hotel, you know, sort of, you know, with, uh, you know, gyms and spas and everything turned on for them, far, far from it. And they had resorted to sleeping outside, um, 
you know, in uh, in the yard of the uh, of the dong of the Penstock area behind the hotel, um, because um, they they wanted to get out, you know, and the only other family that had been there with them had been, and in a similar fashion, just uh, told, you know. Um, well, it's about 10 days ago now, maybe getting on for two weeks almost, and they were just, uh, you know, shifted uh, to MITRE. They're still in detention in, uh, you know, in MITRE, but at least they, they are with the other son, the son who they were meant to be with when they were transferred from Nauru. They've now been united with them in, but in detention in, in Melbourne. So it's, a, you know, another complicated story and another another fight we've got to get, the, you know, that, that family out of, you know, out of detention in uh, in, in MITRE and Marissa. So just to clarify then, so this particular family with the adult children, so there's there are parents and there's also adult, adult um, children as well, that's, right? That's right, and yeah, two parents, two adult children. They're now, they're now in Brisbane, in community detention in Brisbane. Right, in, so what does that mean... Essentially, what that what that means is called well. It's formally formally its name is residence determination, but what it means is there is a designated place, usually a house, um, which is designated as their place of detention. Uh, right. So they're they're still formally in detention, uh, but they can come and go from that house. Usually, I'm I'm quite sure in this case. So the terms are actually set by the actual residence determination itself, but they'll be able to come and go. Uh, from the uh, from the house, uh, they will get an allowance, which is about two thirds of the two thirds of the dole. They won't have to pay rent. The uh, the house will be um, you know rented by by the um, by border force you know for them. But they get a very very minimal uh, income. Uh, they will have a Medicare card, but the um, places that they can actually uh, get um, medical attention will be will be de- will be designated. So the things that people find most difficult is that you know is that the income is so little. Um, while they can you know generally get enough food, they haven't got enough uh, to get around. They have you know for entertainment, for phone, for clothes, um, to be able to travel. Uh, you know even to get the, there's no discount for people who are in community detention to you know to get around by public transport. Very often in Brisbane, it's a big big problem because they're put in far flung suburbs, which is very far away from services that you know, they really need to uh, they need to access, and um, you know if you're in Logan, the public transport you know is not so or a place like Logan, public transport is not so good. Oh, Logan, so, um, yeah. Mm, oh, yeah, Logan's yeah. a dive. Uh, yes, um, yes, it's not it's not the most uh, well uh, you know serviced of uh, you know, suburbs. As in transport, sure. I mean, yeah. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah, and it has it has become in that respect. It's a it is a bit of a ghetto, um, and then there's a bit there's a, because it it is a it is a deprived suburb. A lot of disadvantaged uh, people there, and uh, they're disadvantaged because they don't get the attention they need and the services they need from Correct. well from the state the state government right you know right through. So, okay, so for now. The family is, is in community detention, but of course, there's no guarantee that there's going to be a pathway for a permanent visa, is there? They're just in limbo right now, right? That's that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just it's just another set of difficult circumstances. I mean, it's, it's like they say, it's great that they're out of they're out yeah. of uh, closed detention, out of thing, but there's there's as in community detention and as 
designated transferees, which is a formal term given to them, uh, there is there is no pathway to our permanent settlement in Australia. There, it's, that's simply denied to them. It's simply not available. And that's the you know the big fight that we've got for all the Medivac people. Uh, even though this particular family was actually brought after Medivac was repealed, that's it made their detention in Australia so much worse because. The, the Medivac legislation had been repealed, but the government still transferred this family on their, on their own initiative, um, yeah. transferred the family from Nauru to Australia for medical treatment that they then you know, didn't, didn't give them. So now we do have a big fight, but they're, they're in terms of the... We're back to fighting, as we are, have been for so long, to uh, ensure that the Medivac uh, refugees and the people like them um, can get access and become... Uh, permanent residents and uh, citizens of Australia. And indeed, another group of 14 refugees, as you say in the media release, similarly transferred from Nauru to Villawood in September 2020, are also being kept in detention. And where are they? They've been shifted, have they, from Villawood to the Park Hotel in Melbourne, where they're in quarantine. That's, that's Why right, are these yes. refugees in quarantine? Um, well, I think just by virtue of uh, coming from the, you know, the hotspot in Villawood is actually part of the local government area that's uh, most hard, hardest locked down, and um, so I think that you know Melbourne's just made sure that they've been placed into quarantine when they've been shifted from from um, yeah from Sydney. So uh, they, I haven't checked, but they they should have been out of quarantine uh, maybe yesterday or today. But uh, yeah, so they those those. Or are also a group of people who were transferred after the Medivac legislation that were similarly told that they would be you know, freed uh, when they uh, reached Australia. Um, but, yeah, they went, they went straight into Villawood. Now they're in the Park Hotel in Melbourne. Absolutely despicable. Let's bring them home and bring, get them to stay in Australia. And I believe yep. that there was a, a protest that happened on, on Saturday. Um, so uh, the uh, about about the detainees about about the Medivac people, you mean? Yes. Oh no, um, sorry about about the family. That that it's that although they've been released now to the community, haven't they? The yes, that yeah. that's that's right. There was there was going to, that that um, that pro the protest went ahead, uh, but then and then but then yesterday uh, they were um, you know that that I mean. Uh, in the best of all possible interpretations, I mean, it's another example of where the protests have actually yielded. It's taken a long time, but we've actually got a result. You know, the press release and the protest was a part of actually stepping up, you know, trying to raise public awareness and to push the government, and, uh, and that's been... It's been, you know, moderately successful. Ian, I just wanted to ask you some a brief question about the pandemic. Sure. And... I really feel like we need to talk about this. I mean, we've got stage four restrictions in Victoria, haven't we? We've got lockdown yep. in New South Wales. I don't think Queensland is in lockdown at the moment, is it? No, lockdown's no. been lifted. Yep. So the New South Wales Parliament Public Accountability Committee held its first hearing this year into the New South Wales government management of the COVID-19 pandemic inquiry on 10th of August, given that there's been so much policing and such a mess with the health orders, in your view, what do you think that inquiry was about? It looked to me to be quite a sham. 
Um, yeah, look, it's it's true. I think the government will, uh, the New South Wales government is not about to be, um, you know, open open with the inquiry. The inquiry itself, I mean, it's been it's been good that they've been able to push for the inquiry, but I don't think we're going to get anything like the the information uh, that uh, we might have, you know, we might have hoped for. The, you know, that would be forthcoming as a result of getting, you know, that inquiry. Um, that uh, the lockdown in New South Wales, I mean, people were trying to seek actual indications of what was the health advice, which has actually led to the you know the extreme use of you know police powers and um, and uh, the troops in you know in Western Sydney. And uh, I don't think we're going to get those. We're not going to get those answers. Although Berejiklian and Premier Berejiklian has now admitted, you know that. Uh, some of those powers, including um, you know, the, including the calling of the curfews, have got nothing to do with health orders, but have, but have got everything to do with just succeeding to replace police requests for increased powers um, that they that they feel are necessary. <laughs> so to to make their policing role in uh, Western Sydney, um, you know, easier. Uh, so it's got everything to do with the ease of the police and to give them greater, you know, powers to to repress and uh, nothing to do with anything that's going to do with any health measures that are useful to deal, you know, to fight COVID. What do you think about the the recent protests that happened, the anti-lockdown protesters? Although I, I'm going to call them thugs and Nazis. I'm not saying that people shouldn't have a right to protest. But um, could you comment on that? Um, look, there's quite clearly there are far right are involved, and uh, and are using some sometimes the very understandable concerns of people who are locked down, and uh, the people that the, the pressures and the frustrations that people are trying to deal with, the lack of explanation, the suspicions they have of authority. But there's no doubt that those that those uh, demonstrations, those straight out anti-lockdown demonstrations, are being orchestrated. Uh, by the you know, by the far right, and sometimes some of those people are you know are literally neo-Nazis, although the rallies themselves are not you know are not Nazi rallies. They are people who are you know, mostly made up of people who are very very frustrated with um, you know, with the with the lockdown situation. But I don't think there's anything to be gained at all by uh, letting you know having the far right. Um, you know, organise those kinds of <clears throat> those kinds of <clears throat> protests. Although uh, I think people would also be horrified uh, to see the uh, the use of the pepper spray and those pepper bullets now, and uh, you know, the police again using um, you know COVID restrictions as a, you know, as an excuse for increasing those police powers. So I think you can oppose the demonstrations. I mean, I certainly wouldn't be part of those demonstrations, although no. I have been very part of organising COVID safe demonstrations. Uh, RACs all tried to organise COVID safe demonstrations. We've held COVID safe demonstrations and still been confronted with, uh, you know, with fines and knocks on the door from the you know, police about violating, you know, health measures. Um, and I think, but I think it's a point that we need to make. It is possible, you know, to protest safely um, inside uh, with the COVID, to have COVID safe, you know, demonstrations. Um, and people have to insist, I think, you know, that health measures cannot be used and should not be used to restrict, you know, the right to protest or the right to, you know, the right for people to, you know, to organise to fight for the measures. I mean, I think it's 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 quite obvious. I mean, if you um, you know, you need greater PPE uh, at your particular, you know, for your particular workplace, uh, if you're not getting your know, paid vaccination leave, then you've got to have a right to organise and to protest about that. It can be done safely, but the idea that people 
six people holding a placard outside the detention centre or, you know, outside some workplace or, you know, they're being on a picket line at some workplace over, you know, things that matter to, you know, to working class people. Uh, that's the that's right that um, you know, can't be denied to us on the basis of, um, you know, health measures. Absolutely. And I, I believe that there's quite a few um, legal, organ- like, you know, Human Rights Law Centre and a couple of other centres have have talked about this as well. Yeah, look, there's, I, there's, I think anyone who's dealing with Western Sydney at the moment, you've you faced similar situations in Melbourne where, you know, the police measures around the, you know, the flats were out of yeah. out of all proportion and unnecessary and quite useless you know, to be, and counterproductive actually in dealing with you know dealing with COVID and I think we've got a similar situation in Western Sydney overwhelming the people who are being policed the people who are you know being facing helicopter surveillance the people who are getting the getting the fines are are ordinary people we don't policing doesn't help. You know, people, what people need in Western Sydney is they need financial support, uh, they need proper proper leave so that they can stay home and not be forced to go to work. Uh, they need, you know, if they if they need it, they're, you know, I know there's many situations where people are forced to leave their home because they're looking after, you know, elderly elderly parents, for example, who can't shop. They now, now people are facing violating a curfew because they're getting home at 7 o'clock after work. The curfew is from 9pm 9, 9 to 5. If they're going to get to a shop and get to their parents with the, you know, stuff they need, they face the risk of violating curfew. I'm, not, I'm quite sure many of those people will be, you know, caught by those measures. We don't need police. We need... It's, it should be a, you know, humanitarian uh, exercise. You know, we need, we need community workers. We need people who can shop. We need people who can help with the restrictions, people who can ensure that people aren't going to be evicted, that they're getting the, the leave that they deserve, that they're getting the... You know, the disaster pay. Um, we need that's it's a it's a disaster response we need. You know, like when you when there's a flood, when there's a fire, you don't you don't put police. It's not police on the ground, is it? It's emergency service workers. It's ordinary people who rise to the occasion to, you know, to help out. And we've seen that as well in the flats in Melbourne and Western Sydney, where ordinary people have had to organise uh, because the authorities are so interested in policing, uh, they're not interested in providing the the health support and the financial support that people really need. Absolutely. And, you know, there is a backstory to all this, of course, and this does affect refugees and asylum seekers as well, that when there are economic problems and you've got natural disasters like this, it can encourage fascism. And I just wanted to point you, listeners, and also you, Ian, to an article that was recently published in The Age, where they, you know, the Melbourne Age, where they talk about an Australian chapter of the right ring right wing extremist group Proud Boys and you would have heard of them. Yeah, I've heard of the Proud Boys, that's for sure. They're notorious. They're well notorious. they became infamous, didn't they, for bolstering Donald Trump and provoking confrontations in Black Lives Matter protests. Yeah, that's right. I mean they were part of the thugs that are responsible for killing that um, that protester in Charlottesville. That's exactly right. In the US. And yeah, yeah. No, it's a bit of a concern, Nazis. don't you think, that you know, you've got this anti-white guilt and anti-political correctness and, you know, how in pandemics such as this, is it fair to say that there can be anti-refugee sentiments and also encouraging um, communities who are frustrated to become fascist? 
Well, I think there's a very there's a very real danger. I was saying before, you know, like they can have no truck with the right wing forces that are organising those, you know, the anti lockdown, you know, the anti lockdown protests, um, and that that you need to be explained that story that in the age I haven't caught up with all the details, but it's uh, it's horrifying. And I think the the very simple point that's been made about about that, if there were Muslims who were organising with that that kind of you know paramilitary organisation with that kind of extremist ideology, you would have seen stuff all over the news about police raids against households, people who were placed under arrest, use of anti use of anti terror laws. These people have obviously been subject to a high degree of surveillance. There's a lot of information about their actual you know planning, their networks, their their military you know training ex- escapades and all the rest of it. And we get an article in the Age. Um, we don't get uh, we don't get the police response, you know that uh, you know because they're, because they're you know they're not they're not Muslims. Um, but but yes, it's right. It's right. I think the, the extent to which you know those forces can gain can gain a grounding, they gain a grounding out of I think very often the kind of repressive measures that are put you know in place you know by the government. They're encouraged by those by those kinds of measures. So the anti-refugee, the anti-Muslim. You know campaigns that are really waged by the government is is grist you know to their you know to their mill and they will you know they're obviously taking the opportunity of the frustrations you know around the you know around COVID to you know try to you know fuel you know their far right ideology. Not to not to mention this is a different a different light here, but not to mention Scomo's slow rollout of the the vaccine. Well, yeah, that's exactly right too. I mean, people wonder why there's suspicion of the authorities, but when the messages you get, you know, chop and change all the, you know, all the time, when there's no 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 sufficient explanation, when there's not a, you know, a proper education, you know, kind of campaign, well, then that's the kind of it's the uncertainty and insecurity that the you know the far right feeds off, which I think it's why it is so important that we. That the left, I think, you know, defends, you know, the right, you know, the right to protest and the right to organise, and we that we're not silent when, you know, in the face of the, you know, the police powers and the repression of the police in, you know, in Western Sydney or flats in Victoria or, you know, or any or anywhere else, we we fight for health for health measures. The the authorities, whether it's you know Dan Andrews or Gladys Berejiklian, too often too willing to resort to police powers to try and, you know, think that. It's lockdown, you know. It's it's the repression of ordinary people, which is going to make a difference, a difference to you know to COVID. But repression and lockdown is not, you know, is not a is not a health measure. Um, and the you know the things that people need to be able to, you know, not not to mix. It's one thing to say we're going to stop you mixing, we're going to stop you mixing because police are going to going to find you. How about we talk about the leave that people need, the vaccination they need, the sick leave they need, the casual, the amount the casuals need, the increase in job seeker. So you know you're not stuck in poverty where you have to go to work whether you're sick or not, or you can't afford to take the time off to get tested because if you take that time off to get tested, it might be the last shift you have. Like it's those kinds of things which make an enormous difference, and those things that we you know, have to fight for because they're going to make a difference. They're going to make a difference to whether we get, you know, see increased police powers or more rule from, you know, the political parties who don't care about ordinary people or we're going to see, you know, some uh, some real changes, some defence of our basic, you know, safety, our basic health things that we need um, and uh, the, ability to, the ability to fight COVID at the same time. That's right, and to have permanency as well in, in work, 
Ian, thank you yes, so much yes. for coming onto the program. It's it's been lovely okay, to have Marissa. you. Okay, Marissa, thanks very much, and yeah, good luck down there. Thanks a lot. Take care. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. The Black Lives Matter movement is not going away here or overseas. It gives me hope seeing the numbers of people that turn out to these Invasion Day demonstrations in Melbourne. It gives me the understanding that we will win, folks. We will succeed! Subscribe to 3CR in 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. And we've reached the end of the Doing Time show and it's goodbye from Marissa. And tune in every Monday from 4 to 5 for the Doing Time show. Stay strong and take care of each other. Bye. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.